the Deeply Discussing Podcast. On this show, uh, four or five or six friends get together. We talk about a movie every week, and then we recommend a movie for each other to watch for next week. All available on streaming services, um, so you can play along with us at home. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Josh Dean. Good day. Nathan McKinney. Hello there. And Zach Rowland. Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. And today's episode was Aaron's suggestion. He suggested the Amazon original movie, The Dressmaker, starring Kate Winslet. We'll get into that in a little bit, but first we'll talk about what we've been watching lately. Uh, Josh, what have you been watching lately? Uh, Well, I discovered uh, Pluto TV, I guess, recently, even though it's been an open secret for a long time um so i've been watching bajillion dollar properties on there um it's got a lot of the improv people from ucb um paul f Tompkins and drew tarver and people like that and guest stars like scott ackerman and uh, andy richter it's it's a pretty funny show that's cool that's and that's on pluto pluto yes. yeah i'm i'm aware of them because of their uh Riff Tracks and Mystery Science Theater channels. Right, yes. Which are pretty popular with those fandoms. Uh, Aaron, how about you? Uh, last night I watched the, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, uh, which, surprisingly enough, was not terrible. <laughs> yeah. I almost spit out my Coke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to agree with Aaron. I thought it was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I I was shocked, you know, normally the, I guess you would file that under a buddy cop movie. Um, Normally one of the characters is super annoying, but neither of them were. I I was pretty impressed with it. Um, I also watched Self Made on Netflix. Uh, It's got Octavius. You watched Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, Who is that movie for? (laughs) I want to know because so far no one has been able to tell me what that who that movie is for. It's for it's for people like me. I feel like Aaron and I's age, like because we played Sonic as kids, so it kind of hits home, right? Did you play Sonic, Aaron? Yeah, there there were there were enough send ups to the old video games that. Yes, it, it could have been viewed as something for me and Zach uh, or our age bracket, but honestly, I felt it was it was almost like an introduction to the character for a new audience. So. I feel like it was kind of that's the same way how like Detective Pikachu could have been too. Like you could know nothing about Pokemon, but you could watch Detective Pikachu. And be into it because I like I was into Pokemon when I was younger, you know. Yeah, different story um, though. As for age bracket, there are some jokes that put it firmly in the I'd say sixteen to twenty four. Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, is it because they're the ones that are not going to see movies? Um, they're not going to see Sonic movies. When I went to see it in the theater, there was actually that was exactly the uh, age group that was there for the most part. I mean, there was probably thirty or so people in the theater, mostly around between sixteen and twenty-five. I think I mean, I, it made a ton of money. Yeah, I was the oldest person there. <laughs> okay, always. That's that's such uh, a weird, uh, such a weird demo for, uh, for a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Um, but I guess if it found an audience, that's great. You sound yeah, like made more than De- Pika, uh, Detective Pikachu. I mean, it's definitely a niche movie, but I mean, two out of five of these gentlemen have seen it. I think that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I mean, that's probably that's probably a higher average than Frozen 2. I've seen Frozen 2. <laughs> I, ha- I have too. Yeah, you're talking about so. Zach and Aaron as the two out of five, Nathan. You got to... Maybe relax those stats a little bit. 
Okay, go I'm on. Just kinda, I'm, just kinda, <laughs> I'm just kind of floating the idea that you might sound just a little bit like the old crotchety old man on his front porch. I don't understand why those those kids want to watch that Pikachu movie or the you know the Sonic Hedgehog movie. No, like I I I literally don't understand. It's it's not a it's not a I'm not hip to Sonic. Like I played Sonic the Hedgehog. I understand the character, but like, do kids like Sonic? It sounds like it's not for kids. So it's for teenagers and people in their young twenties, like people that go to people that are like the target demographic for like gross out comedies or something. I don't know. I'm I'm not, I'm not understanding, but um, I'm really not disagreeing with you actually, but like, it's, it's just kind of funny. It's not one that you or I would have greenlit, (laughs) but obviously Aaron would have been like, go make that movie. Here's some money. In fact, no, feel I am, free to I screw up the animation. Ag- <laughs> I, I am wholly against video game adaptations. They <laughs> they almost never work out. And by almost, I they mean... They never ever. work out. Up, uh, I mean, up until Detective Pikachu and Sonic, they have never worked out. You're saying that Mario Brothers was not a good movie? <laughs> I mean... Mario Brothers is, like, absolutely not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> like a hundred and ten percent not good. But it's if if we didn't get the Mario movie, we would never know what dystopian Dennis Hopper looks like. Right. Except in Waterworld. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's true. That's true. Thank you. Waterworld is another movie that is a timeless classic. Thank you. Uh, I love Waterworld. <laughs> the live show is even too. better. Anyway, the other thing that I've been watching is uh, self-made. It's about it's a mini series about Madam C.J. Walker, the first uh, self-made millionaire African American female, and it was interesting. Is four episodes long, I think. And uh, Octavia Spencer plays C.J. Walker, and she's amazing, of course. Um, But the rest of the cast seemed weird. Um, They had Tiffany Haddish play her daughter in a a serious role, and it just seemed strange. I don't think she can really pull that off. Um, it also had these like dream sequences that seemed out of place, uh, but all in all, it was it was a pretty decent story. Like, I, I would give it a watch. I mean, obviously, I did, but I would suggest giving. It a Aaron, watch. why don't you watch that and let us know how it was? <laughs> well, no, I was thinking about it. It's on my list. It's on my list. <laughs> Nathan, what have you been watching? Uh, well, I've seen quite a few things, but I'm going to talk about two things that excited me the most. Uh, one is uh, we have been kind of plowing our way through the Mission Impossible movies franchise, and I think the one we just watched may be the best one. Uh, I'll be curious to see what you guys think is the best one, but uh, I'm pretty firmly in the camp of Rogue Nation being the absolute best one. It's pretty good. Thoughts? I I can't I can't think of one that's better. The, the did you watch Fallout yet? I've seen Fallout. I I don't think Fallout was quite as. It, I don't think it clung together quite as well. Like there's something about it that's a little bit too outlandish for its own good. Not that, not that any of them have anything less than outlandish in them. I mean, the whole ju- diving into the water sequence in Rogue Nation is pretty nuts, too. But uh, I just think it's written well as far as that goes. It's just one of the best of the series, for sure. And the music is amazing. Like, that that one, the music, like, we were sitting there listening to it. I was like, man, this is just making me ready to go. <laughs> Yeah, I have not seen any of them recently enough to tell you which one's the best or my favorite or anything like that. Um, is is Rogue Nation the one where he like scales the side of a building? No, that's that's Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. Okay. 
it, and it's a it's probably my close second. It's my close second. That's the one that comes to mind as my favorite out of them, but it's only because I remember that specific scene really well. Um, that underwater sequence that you're talking about, I thought was kind of lame. So that might edge it out for me. But could be. Uh, the other thing that we, uh, I, I decided I was going to start watching a little bit again. Um, I, I don't remember if I ever even finished it, but we've been talking a bit about Lars von Trier. Yeah. I decided to go back and revisit um, Kingdom. Yeah. Has anyone seen Kingdom? TV show. Uh, I haven't seen that, no. Okay, so Kingdom, it's like a, it's got two series worth of, uh, so about 12 13 episodes or so, but it's basically Lars von Trier directing a TV series um, about a hospital that is haunted and with some crazy weird doctors going on in it and some typical Lars von Trier weird shit going on. It's Danish, if I remember correctly, um, and it's just nuts. It's it's worth watching. It's got Udo Kier in it, is in a very small role, but... Uh, Udo Kier's in it, and a whole cast of interesting characters. When is this from? Probably about... Mm, I'd have it to, was the mid-90s. I was going to say it was probably mid-90s. Oh, okay. It looks so old school when you watch it. <clears throat> I they, uh, Steve, Stephen King actually wrote a, a, the Kingdom Hospital series based on it. Yeah, I think I there's an American version that was made... Just after or just before, I can't remember. That's cool. Yeah. Anyways, I thought I'd just kind of mention it because I, for those that are fans of Lars von Trier, I think that's one of those kind of weird hidden gems that most people don't know about. So, yeah, yeah. it's on Canopy if you're looking for it. So, oh, there you go. Uh, which is, I, I think that's one of the ones, at least in the Kansas City Public Library system, that you can get through there. So, <clears throat> cool. Yeah, I I actually have a Lars von Trier movie in my uh, my bag of tricks to pull out later, um, so I'm going to suggest one. Not not in the very near future, but eventually we're going to get into some of that some of that stuff. So, uh, Zach, how about you? Um, started Ozark season three about three the fourths of the way through it. I'm uh, enjoying it. Um, you know. Uh, it's a show. Um, I like it, um, for what it is. Uh, and then, um, my wife and I are continuing on our quarantine movie list. Um, she'd never seen the Kill Bills, so we watched those and she loved them. She said that, uh, Reservoir Dogs was her favorite Tarantino film, uh, but she's probably going to change it to Kill Bill now that she's seen that. And volume one is my favorite. Most, it's just amazing. Does she Um, like one or two better? Um, I think, I think we're kind of both there on the side of one. She didn't really say, I think she likes him as a, as a combined piece really, but we talked about it today a little bit on our walk actually, which was fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think volume one for me is just like the pinnacle of what I love about Tarantino. Um, so yeah, that was fun. Uh, and then I jumped on the Disney plus train and, uh, watched a lot of stuff over there. Uh, been cruising through star Wars, clone wars, uh, final season, um, but I gotta say, not the biggest fan of the final season so far. <laughs> um, it's just been a little, I don't know, it, it, it went away for too long, I think. And, uh, Dave Filoni's is not really nailing it in this last season, but, uh, well, we'll see. Um, and then, uh, free solo, um, the documentary about the guy who climbs mountains with no rope, uh, which was very interesting, a little long, in terms of pacing and whatnot for a documentary, uh, not a lot going on other than watching a guy hang from a rock, um, but uh, still gave me anxiety nonetheless. Um, <laughs> um, and then um, Onward, which I loved, uh, I thought was was really great. And um, yeah, I don't know. I've heard mixed reviews from people on, about Onward, but uh, definitely brought some tears to my eyes. That, that and, one's on uh, Disney Plus. Yeah. Yeah, I like uh, for a Pixar film. I was like, I really liked it. I thought it was a little different than what Pixar normally does, but still, what Pixar does. Um, Did that go so direct to I, Disney Plus, or was that in theaters first? It was. Out it went for, to theaters for like a couple days. 
Yeah, I think it was out for about three weeks, and then uh, they took it off, or then it was a couple weeks to get it on Disney Plus. But um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, unfortunately, it uh, because of the when it came out during the pandemic time, it didn't do very well in the box office. But I think it's it's a good one. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Like they're delaying a bunch of their stuff rather than just release it to Disney Plus. Um, yeah, which is well, I know smart. Onward, Onward hit theaters, I think, like three or four days before AMC shut down. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It, early March, yeah. Well, AMC didn't shut down until um, like St. Patrick's Day. Because they had a whole week where they were, uh, they were running a coronavirus protocol where they cut the number of seats they were selling to all of their screens uh, <laughs> by two-thirds. So yeah. that people could distance themselves, um, and then there weren't allowed to be like even in their screens that seated more than like 250 people, the absolute maximum pe- number they would let in was like 50. Um, and they ran that for like a week, and then when the state started doing uh, the stay-at-home orders, they were like, "Nope, this is not worth it, and we can't be open in one state and not open in another." So. Um, yeah. I saw uh, Ozark season three, and I really, really enjoyed it. It's something that I would love to talk spoilers with sometime, um, without giving anything away. Um, I'll talk in code a little bit, Zach. Um, I really like the new character that they introduced. Yeah, me too. He's probably my favorite, one of my favorites of this season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that. Uh, Wendy Bird is is probably um, the best villain this season. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is she doing? Um, so that's all interesting. Um, but if you haven't seen the end yet, I won't. I won't go too far, too much farther than that. Yeah. And only other little other thing too is I love how they mirror the children's behavior yeah. to the parents. I think that the uh, the actors that are the kids are doing a great job of like really mirroring those behaviors of each of the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting show. Um, I love how they keep characters around that don't even really have much to do this season, but they're like planting seeds. Like you can see where this is going to lead to a story next season or the season after that. Um, I think they did some really great work there. And we talked before, I don't remember if you were on the episode, we talked about it before where uh, I mentioned that there was a distinct lack of Jason Bateman this season, um, possibly because of his work with uh, his work on uh, the outsider on HBO. But yeah, it's it's been a it's been a, it's a weird season. It's not a season that I would have thought on looked good on paper, but um, I really enjoyed how it turned out. So, and then you talked about um, Kill Bill, and my thing with Kill Bill is I think it's a movie that I can recommend to just about everyone, as long as you can get them through the animated part of part one. Yeah, even Amy was kind of a little ick on that one. But you know, but also that's one of my favorite parts about that movie. But I understand what you're saying. I, I have friends that walked out of the movie when that part happened, um, that were like that grossed out by it and that overcome by it. They were like, "How much worse is how much gorier and <laughs> nastier is this movie going to get?" And it's like it's interesting that the animation is the part that really breaks people. Um, I showed it to my wife and one of our friends a long time ago. And I told them like, this is as bad as it gets this scene. You can close your <laughs> eyes. You can watch parts of it if you want to, but just know that once this is over, you've seen the absolute worst of it. And then, um, your, your reward in my book, your reward for it is part two. Cause I think part two is the best part of it. Um, I love part two. I love the ending, the final scene is just so good. Um, so that's that's my Kill Bill review. Since <laughs> since we're we're talking about that this time, right? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I I am gonna go ahead. I'm gonna try to go back and watch all of them now. Now that I've watched the extended version of um, Hateful Eight and uh, Kill Bill One and Two, um, yeah, I'm like I gotta see. I gotta go back and watch them all now. I bought One and Two on Blu-ray a while back, thinking that I would like invite some people over and introduce them to it. And I just need to get over it and sit down and watch them myself because now nobody's coming over. <laughs> nobody's coming over and i can't live stream blu-ray in any kind of quality that makes a difference so um so there's that but uh uh the movie that we watched um i watched on amazon which is where you get it because it's an amazon original but i also watched it in 4k anybody else no no nope. no Okay, well, my TV can do it, and so um, I I use the Amazon app on my TV, which is not how I usually watch Amazon, but that's the only way to get it to work in 4K. So I did that for what it was worth, and we watched it. Um, let's talk about it. Had anyone seen this movie before? I had. Okay, bunch nope. of no's. Uh, it was Aaron's suggestion, so Aaron goes last. Um, <laughs> Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of the dressmaker? Yeah, it was okay. Um, I wouldn't uh, probably have sought this out on my own. Um, I had to stop about six times to go do other things. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't for me. Uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I will say the things I liked about it. Uh, the 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 like design overall. I thought that the um, especially like seeing sort of that like rugged outback sort of small town Australia look was cool. Um, but yeah, I, uh, and I know it was based off of a novel. I, you know, sometimes I guess when interpreting, uh, you know, novel to screen and whatnot, it can be, I, I don't know anything about the novel, so I don't know. Um, but, uh, I thought Kane's, Kate Winslet was great. Um, I think the acting was pretty good for the most part. It just wasn't for me. You know, um, like you were saying earlier about sitting down for a two action hour movie, like I can jump into an action movie any given second. But for me to watch something like this, it uh, it takes a lot for for me. So but it was it wasn't bad by any means. I, I really thought it was just an, an OK film. Yeah, the production design was off the chart, like they spent a lot of money on this movie. Um. Uh, Josh, how about you? What did you think? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, kind of like Zach was saying, an adaptation of a book, I think... Uh, okay, let me back up. Tonally, you know, it was kind of all over the place, but I think that might be because of the adaptation aspect of it. When you're reading a book, I think you get a lot more time to make those shifts more subtly between zany screwball comedy and people dying left and right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and it was the comedy part that fell flat to me, like the, the wacky townspeople and the bent over dude. And anyway, uh, (laughs) that wasn't my part of it. Mr. Uh, Almanac. I did, right, Mr. Almanac. I did (laughs) find myself uh, finally invested in the actual story, like Kate Winslet's story by the end of it. Um, The whole uh, lesser Hemsworth, uh, he, uh, (laughs) finally grew on me after a while. Um, but so, so I can't say I didn't like it. I, there were parts of it I definitely liked, but um, like I said, the, the whole first maybe 45 minutes were a bit of a trial for me to get through. Yeah. Okay. Nathan. Well, this is my third time to see it. Um, I actually sought it out on my own a second time after having seen it the first time. So, you know, I must have liked it a little. Wait a minute. We asked if people had seen it before. Oh, I I told you. I saw it. Yeah. No, I've seen this one twice. So this will be third. Okay. Third run at it. Do you want to go first? No, go ahead. Okay. That's all right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to get out of order. Uh, You know, I, I love this movie. It's, I think there's some, the tonal shifts are a little weird in it. And I think that's probably what, keeps it out of like the realm of like some of my favorite types of movies that, that I enjoy. Cause I, I love like a Coen brothers movie or Wes Anderson. And I feel this kind of fits sort of in there a little bit, a little bit cutesy, a little bit edgy. 
a little bit of dark comedy in there. I, I enjoy that part of it. Um, the other thing that I really kind of noticed was the this time was the ages of everybody, all the actors and actresses playing, didn't seem to line up with their kid counterparts no. and their actual ages at all. And it really kind of threw me this time, honestly. So um, I think it's really well cast. I think it's got a hell of a lot of funny moments in it. Um, uh, and in the, when the the violence and death starts happening towards the middle, it, it struggles to kind of keep it together, I think. But I do. I, I think it's still a pretty solid movie. Okay. Well, I had time after I watched it to sort of percolate on it and think about it and um, somewhat mute my my original thoughts or original review as I was kind of sitting there watching it, which went from what to what, Aaron, why to what the fuck, Aaron? Yeah. Um, yeah. I said those same words. Now I will be, I will be a lot more erudite and, and kind to this movie in a minute. But I want to ask that question first because it's really important to my process. What the fuck, Aaron? <laughs> From Overlord to Dressmaker is such a shift for you, Aaron. Man, I'm all over the place, like the tone of this movie. <laughs> like, it, so I, I read the book. Um, I was a fan oh, of the book. That's what the and fuck. And so I... I decided I was I was gonna look into the movie when Amazon announced they were making it, and it's got Kate Winslet and Hugo Weaving, and I was like, "Well, damn, that's awesome." Um, and I enjoyed the movie, so okay. I, I was I was like, I, th- I think other people enjoy it. It's like it's got this dark comedic value, like everything goes wrong yes. okay it's, it's just that, great I, i'm gonna stop you there because that that answers that answers the what the fuck question because i can totally <laughs> see where uh if you read the book the movie would be a fun thing to watch because this this movie definitely suffers from the it's obviously been adapted from something else thing um the movie has a natural conclusion at 90 minutes and then there's another half hour that just sucks the rug out from under you. Um, but when I thought about it more and I thought about all the tones and all the weirdness and stuff that was going on, you know, and Aaron, you just said something about dark comedy. I'm pretty sure that this is a work of satire and I, I honestly, I, I truly believe that this is a work of satire and it's supposed to be all these characters or archetypes that they're making fun of, but they're also twisting every single one of them. Like they have the ugly, ugly duckling character who turns against the person that made her into a swan. Like that's the yoink thing that they do with that. Every one of these things has that little that little uh, churn to it, and so when the movie starts out, you're completely expecting it to be Kate Winslet gets revenge on the town, and it's like no, she just like slowly wins them over by making them dresses. Okay, um, and then there's like you know the the person that you're most worried about at the beginning of the movie is the the police officer but oh he likes to dress in fancy clothes and so he's always on her side there's all of that kind of stuff going on the ages of the actors thing was a pretty pretty major deal um kate winslet and liam hemsworth aside like that's whatever, you know, Hollywood trying to pull something sort of deal. But when they revealed that um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Petty Whistle or whatever his name was, the uh, Evan, the like philanderer guy. The, 
the, he's the mayor. Pettyman. Evan Pettyman. Pettyman. When they when they reveal that he is Kate Winslet's father, and that Kate Winslet's mother met him when she was twenty, I'm like, that dude does not look like he's old enough to have known Kate Winslet's mom when she was twenty. <laughs> like maybe when he was four, but not when he was somewhat older than twenty and enough to be able to like, you know get in her pants because that's his whole deal is just getting in everyone's pants um but i mean maybe he was he was the liam hemsworth to her kate winslet you know (laughs) maybe he was 15 years younger and just got in there when he was five i don't know (laughs) yeah and i think i think gertrude was also supposed to be the same age as kate winslet's character but yeah, they yeah. didn't look anywhere near the same age. No, right? I mean, yeah, there was there was just so much. Yeah, it's 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 like they. Um, I I feel like they they cast they cast Kate Winslet for a role that should have been the same age as the actress that played Gertrude. Um, and then as far as like the Judy Davis character, it's like. I, I don't even know. It's like maybe that was the same deal where they just they got a really good actress to play the part and it was like, you know, okay, you know. Maggie Smith said no, yeah. so uh <laughs> the the main character um Tilly is supposed to be thirty two or thirty three because she yeah, she she gets uh, yeah she has she to gets be. taken away when she was Kate, like eight. Yeah, she's a Kate kid. Winslet's and then it's twenty five years later. So she the the character is supposed to be in the realm of about thirty two. They keep talking about how all of this happened twenty five years ago, and then when they show the flashbacks, like they're kids, they're eight year old. At some point, <laughs> they mentioned that she was eight. I think at the time. Yeah. So. So yeah, I think they were trying to like play it off like she was really thirty-two, which makes her roughly the same age as Liam Hemsworth character and um, the Gertrude character and all of that. So realistically, Kate Winslet probably should have played the mom and then pick another gal. <laughs> yeah, I again, I think. I mean, <laughs> I feel like Amazon. That's closer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Amazon tried to they they got they spent some money on this ip and they spent a lot of money on this movie and then just didn't didn't really do much with it um i'm trying to remember if oh well this was a 2015 movie that's that's why i wouldn't have seen it because i wasn't paying attention to toronto back then but you know i don't think they they got any sort of like award nominations for it um at least for the acting um which it seems like that's kind of one of the things that they were going for was trying to make an oscar bait uh, movie it was on the short list for best makeup and hairstyling it won some aacta awards whatever that is Probably something to do with production design or costuming would be my guess. Um, Just lead actress, supporting actress, supporting actor, costume design. Are those Australian awards? I'm not kidding. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Because it was made in Australia and it has a Screen Australia credit in the beginning. Um, so I'm sure they got, you know, like some tax credits and stuff like that. And, um, probably a lot of the supporting cast was Australian as well. So they didn't have to fly, you know, a bunch of, a bunch more British actors over there to play Australians. (laughs) Um, Kate Winslet did okay with the Australian accent. It wasn't, it wasn't too, uh, too gnarly. But uh, I kind of wonder what you guys think about, you know, 
when you go see something in in theater, a lot of times the ages may be way off because they you don't have to see them quite so close up, that sort of thing. And things are, it's theater, so everybody's acting, acting anyways. So it could be anything. So I, I feel like it's a lot more forgivable to have like an age discrepancy from an actor who's playing a character. I mean, you see it all the time in things like Peter Pan and some of those where you even like do gender swap things. I'm, I'm wondering if you guys, when you're watching movies like this, if you think in your head, well, you know, it's still just a play that they're filming. And do you kind of like let that, I don't know, calm your issues with it when you're watching something like this? Because like, I mean, the second I just kind of let go of my suspension of disbelief on the whole thing about the ages, it was fine. It was a great movie as, as far as everything else goes, except for, you know, the tonal shifts. But I'm just curious what you guys feel about that. I mean, do you give you give movies a little bit of license occasionally for that sort of thing, or what do you guys feel? I think we're just commenting on it because, I mean, to me, I I was sort of it it didn't really even strike me until um, the romance between Liam Hemsworth and uh, Kate Winslet really kind of cranked up. Now it's like, okay, this is kind of like they're they're kind of separate ages, and this is kind of different for Hollywood. Like, if the genders were reversed, it would be totally normal Hollywood, right? Like, right. Of course. the older men are always with the younger women. <laughs> that didn't really um, hit, strike me that much. But what struck me was when they revealed who her father was, and I was like, okay, they cast the wrong guy to play that role. That that guy doesn't seem old enough to be one her father and two old enough to have known the mother when she was only 20 years old. That's, that was the, that was the part that's really stuck out to me. That was like, and they didn't need to do that. Like they could have cast an older actor in that role and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Um, should have been more like a Mr. Almanac in that role. Um, that <laughs> guy, but, uh, um, it's not like I, I, wouldn't suspend my disbelief and enjoy the movie over that. It's just, it was something that particularly with the father situation, like stuck out and was like, now wait a minute. <laughs> well, I think that answers my question. Well, Nathan, when you were saying, uh, so you were mentioning a, about a play, I was actually thinking that during, well, the viewing of it for me, I was like, this would make a, actually a pretty good play. I think the adaptation yeah. in terms of it going to film was like, okay, but as a play, I think that would actually be really well done. I think it yeah. would be yeah. very, very fun and very cool. Yeah, for uh, sure. When they were establishing the town at the beginning, the, like the establishing shots and her arriving and all of that, um, I actually had like a, a momentary thought about the movie uh, Dogville. Have you guys seen oh, that? Yeah. Oh yeah, Lars von Trier again. <laughs> Another Lars von Trier movie. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Why does everything I talk about to come back to Lars von Trier? But yeah, it, that's a it, good movie though. It is a good movie, and that the conceit of that movie for those of you who haven't seen it is that it's all filmed on a black soundstage with like tape for the outside of buildings, and all of the actors just act like they're in real buildings and real sets but there's nothing there except the actors, their costumes and just a black floor with lines drawn for where the edges of the rooms are. And it's, it's, it's interesting how quickly you just get sucked into the story and stop noticing that, stop caring about the fact that there's nothing built around them. I think my, my biggest takeaway from this is that I think I would probably enjoy the book um i probably would not recommend this movie to people that haven't read the book first um because it's a lot of um it it, it, it it's it's not a uh a typical movie because of how sort of literally they they translated the book or adapted the book to screen um another like really good example of that is uh Snowpiercer which I know a bunch of you have probably seen. Um 
Snowpiercer was adapted from a graphic novel. And as a movie, its pacing and tone are kind of all over the place. But if you think about it as every car is an episode, and each of those episodes are just kind of self-contained, then it makes a lot more sense. So it feels like it was adapted very true to the source material rather than trying to make a three-act standard uh, film script adaptation of it. And this movie definitely feels like uh, it, it it feels like about a five-act movie, and the last two acts are the last half hour, because like they literally could have ended it with them sitting on the silo and talking. That could have been the last shot of the movie. Like the action was over at that point, and then they added this whole other thing. As, as a movie watcher, that's what it feels like. But knowing that it's an adaptation of a book, it's like, oh, this this twist is something that has yet to happen. And they didn't adapt this twist to happen in the second 30 minutes of the movie. They adapted it to happen in the third 30 minutes of the movie. So, Yeah, I stopped it at one point and got up to do something. And I was like, oh the big reveal just happened and there's still like 30 something minutes left. And then another thing happened and I talked to my wife and I was like, Oh no, something else happened. And she's like, what? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I guess there's, there's more to it. I don't know. (laughs) There's also some weirdness with, uh, they have the scene where she, I forget what she's upset about, but she, she runs out of the, or she, she finds out who her father was and she runs out of the party and the Le- Liam Hemsworth's like slow brother, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? The guy that like mm-hmm. sat on top of the Billy silo or something. Yeah. yeah, his name was Billy or something like that. Uh, <laughs> um he starts he starts that whole, you know, she moved thing again. And he's like crying and the audience figures out like that he's explaining what happened. But then instead of us finding out about that, then there's like another scene that happens. And then Liam Hemsworth and Kate Winslet go to the spot where it happened and he reveals it to her then that's kind of an awkward, like why didn't this just happen when it was happening? moment and then there's another one where um the the point where they have their sex scene between liam hemsworth and kate winslet the point where that happens is in a really odd place like it feels like they weren't doing anything and then it's just sort of rushed in there and i feel like they tried to find a place to jam that in before he dies without telling us that that's what they're doing like they they needed that scene, and I don't know if that scene's even like in the book. It felt like really out of place to me. The sex yeah. scene. It was in the book, but the the, the book has the more time book, to flesh all that stuff out. Yeah the the they hit the movie hits the main story points of the book. There are some changes. The book is much more revenge driven like she has a plan the entire time and uh, the movie she's just there to take care of her mother which is a thing in the book but she's she's going to take advantage of the situation that she's back in town she's gonna so is sending them out of town to the play so she can burn the whole town down her plan the whole time or is that something they invented for the movie that comes along later. That that part is her mother's idea. In the book, she she has this idea of revenge, and then she kind of softens her idea because of Liam Hemsworth's character. 
And then when he dies and their reaction to it, because in the book, they completely turn on her because, oh, now she's murdered yet another one. Uh-huh. And um, so it, the, the book, the townspeople are way worse than they are in the movie. And um, he was just getting her to turn it all around and basically like, you know what, to hell with these people. I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, and, and that scene kind of like, well, shit, I am cursed. You know, it cements that in her head and her mother comes across that play thing and, the, and they're trying to uh, get her to do the dresses for them. And because she's, She's also doing the dresses for the other town. And um, in the book, they know that she's doing the dresses for the other town, but she's also doing their dresses. And they give her... But but she asks for money up front. And they... She asked for so much money that they actually have to use the money that they were going to uh, use to insure the town. (laughs) So when she burns down the town, there's no insurance. So they're just SOL. Yeah. Uh, So which aren't things that particularly translate well into film. Like that's another half hour to add that subplot in there. Yeah, the the book is a lot more of a revenge story than the movie is, even though the movie does have its revenge storyline. Well, um, at the very beginning, it kind of felt like it was going to be a Western yeah. parody, sort of, with her coming back into town and kind of the, the whole setup of the town being like a Wild West kind of thing. Even bringing in the other dressmaker seemed like hiring a gunslinger to come in and take care of her, you know? The director said that this was unforgiven with a sewing machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I read a review, uh, a user review, that uh, compared it to another Clint Eastwood movie called High Plains Drifter, um, which they said that it's basically the female version of that. So I I can see that. But that's not really what the movie is. It's not unforgiven with a with a sewing machine. <laughs> There's also the um, Sunset Boulevard stuff that happens in the movie, which I thought there were they were trying to tie in stuff, you know, uh, in terms of what Sunset Boulevard was. Do you feel and, like they did that successfully? No, no, I don't think they did at all. <laughs> I thought they were trying to, and then they didn't. Because, like, I thought that that was kind of about. I don't know. I felt like that was sort of directed at um, at Molly, the mother character. That that's sort of who that was supposed to be for or about or tied to. And like mm-hmm. she was the one talking about how it was all, you know, trash and uh, perverted and whatever and talking out loud in the theater. So, yeah, I, I feel like that like that was there, but there was like no connection or that that's just another joke, like, you know, because Sunset Boulevard's this, like, revered Hollywood classic, and, you know, they, they tied it in. It must mean something. It's like, no, it's just what the what movie they had playing at the theater. Yeah. Well, the only, other, the only other tie-in I could think is that Mr. Almanac dies in a pool of water, <laughs> and that's, like, the guy who dies in Sunset Boulevard <laughs> dies in the pool. And I was like, so is that the tie-in or <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, it could also be, I mean, a little bit of the mom hitting on Liam Hensworth so much, but also mocking the younger uh, actor being seduced by the older woman in the movie. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I could see that. And like the scene where they're they're uh, measuring Liam Hemsworth, mm-hmm. and they're both like, both of them are floating their boats while his <laughs> very thirsty scene. Yes. I actually really like that scene when she <clears throat> when when she kicks the uh, record player and it does the scratch <laughs> that you hear from trailers. Yeah. I, lo- I loved that. 
There's there's some other literary references too, which I think they're trying to allude to throughout. Of course, Macbeth. Yeah. With, you know the wit the witch in the hill, and then um, yeah, there's like some other there's like a lot of other little tiny little references here and there that I feel like they're trying to almost shoehorn in in certain ways, but like don't necessarily land or. So here's know. here's my question about um, how to how to do this adaptation justice. Should they have cut half an hour of plot out of it and made it a movie? Or should they have expanded it into a limited run series and given us more of the book? I would have loved a limited run series. Um, I think more of the book would have helped. I think it would have been a lot darker. Because it would have gone into a little bit more detail about how terrible these people were. Well, I think that would have also given the townspeople more rounded character arcs. Mm-hmm. You know, or they would have they would have been yeah. Because I just had a hard time finding sympathy for anybody. You know, and so many people die in this movie. It's kind of crazy how many people die. Not that I'm saying I need sympathy for them, but I'm imagining like the first hour of the you know the first episode. Um, ends with Kate Winslet arriving in town. Like that's the kind of the kind of adaptation I'm thinking of, where it like they they give you all of those characters, and then they 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 slowly turn it around and show you how all of these characters are terrible people and and you know devote more time to each sort of episode of action that happens in it the you know her winning them over and getting them um the you know the whole subplot with gertrude and then her wedding and then her thing with liam hemsworth and then the thing about them figuring out who her father is and who actually uh how how the kid actually died um i am uh i think i'm i'm on the record on this but i i hate amnesia plots i hate them um so i was pretty uh pretty frustrated until liam hemsworth finally explained what happened to uh the kid that broke his own neck by bull rushing the wall uh which i think they only really tied to uh when hugo weaving like took the fall for all that stuff and he was dressed as a matador (laughs) There was a lot of bull going on in this movie, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think also too for a limited TV series, the cinematography would be much different. You know, in terms of like how how it was filmed, I think it would have had to have been a much different tone, and if, then you would have been able to be actually able to establish the tone for each episode, as opposed to meandering all over the place. Yeah, I th- I feel like they could do things where you would have a really dark episode. And then you would have some lighter episodes and stuff like that in it. Um, my like short, short review of this movie is it's the the least interesting episode in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, <laughs> <laughs> and and by far the longest. Oh, uh, but so more interesting than the stagecoach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least the stagecoach was short. Are we dead? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I love that Hugo Weaving always uh, seems to find a role that he can end up in drag. Um, I I, I grew up loving the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Um, So I, I, I loved the callbacks to that. And, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this movie. I love the look of it. I, I love the costume designs, the set design. Um, I enjoyed the main characters. Um, and, and I loved, I loved the end. Uh, I, the, when she burns down the town, I absolutely love that. Um, 
it's not it's not the best movie I've ever seen, but one that I enjoyed and I thought y'all might. Um, it's it's okay, Aaron. You're not cursed. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you I need you to prove it by jumping into that silo. Okay. <laughs> I don't like sorghum. Aaron wouldn't recommend this movie. He knows we'd all hate it. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> I think it's so funny too that he jumped in earlier and it was like wheat or corn or whatever, and then the second time he does it, it's fucking sorghum, and he just sinks and suffocates. And it's like, also, you think that he would be a little smarter than that, being a farm boy, right? Like, could you tell the difference between wheat and sorghum? I don't he know. wouldn't jump I in sorghum. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't recommend also, this movie. Also, how? <laughs> How weird to like then get his mom for the first time three fourths the way through the film, where then it's like, there's the mom. Okay, now we get that all the little kids, she has like a thousand kids. And then the dad is like even older than Mr. Almanac. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at right now. Yeah, the dad looks like he died about five years before production began. <laughs> I almost thought that Nick Frost was going to be the uh, Gertrude's dad. I think Nick Frost could have been real fun in that role. (laughs) Come on, mate. It's 10 quid. And Liam Hemsworth's body was awful, awful pliable for being dead. She's like holding his hand and his fingers like still flex and all of that. A couple weeks before this movie started filming, um, Kate Winslet uh, Kate Winslet uh, became pregnant and they put a hold on filming and like three or four people dropped out including the people that had to play uh, that that were cast to play Gertrude and a couple of the other female um, antagonists and Weird. so uh, the, those uh, those people were not the first choices so was it like scheduled for close to when she was due to deliver or did she just like decide once she was pregnant she wasn't going to work at all remember i was i was reading about it let's see i i also went back and looked at her like a little bit of her history because i wanted to know how old she was when they filmed this and then i saw that she took a 10-year gap off from filming from like was it 95 to 2005 or something like that? No, something else. But uh, And then I realized I didn't even know. She, I forgot she was married, married to Sam Mendes, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to pronounce her name. The, the original person cast to play Gertrude was Ela Fisher. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And um, the other seamstress, Una, was originally going to be Elizabeth Debicki. Okay. Um, they both dropped out, uh, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's just how scheduling goes with that stuff. Yeah. It's just, it would be weird if, like, she found out she was pregnant, like, a month before production started and was like, I can't work. Sorry. Gonna have to put your, you know, multi-million dollar uh, period piece set in Australia on hold to wait for me. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't say it. Just says that it was delayed from the start of 2014 to the fall of 2014 due to uh, to Winslet's pregnancy. Yeah. I'll also say that Ela Fisher would have been a bad. I think that would have been a bad choice. Honestly, now that I think about it. Mm. She is way too attractive to be a Gertrude. <laughs> well, the woman that played Gertrude's way too attractive to be Gertrude, but that's no, that's a Hollywood yeah, thing. I mean, Ela Fisher, it's like thinking about her from a lot of other things that she's done is she's just like uh, yeah. I'll t- also, how is she married to Sasha Baron Cohen? I still don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> she puts up with Sasha Baron Cohen, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of Kate Winslet and uh, and and pregnancy, um, there's a movie that she did called Labor Day uh, back in 2013. <laughs> that's kind of an uh, underrated, unseen gem uh, directed by Jason Reitman. 
I don't know how you guys feel about his movies. There are people that really hate him. Um, there are people that like him okay. I'm one of the people that like him okay. Um, Labor Day is a movie about um, Kate Winslet lives with her son, and uh, I believe he's an escaped prisoner. Uh, Josh Brolin's character basically comes into their house on the run from the law and takes them hostage. Oh, right, right. Yeah. And uh, it it becomes sort of a uh, an instant uh, Stockholm Syndrome sort of situation where they kind of like him and she kind of wants a, a man in her life and the boy kind of wants a father figure. and um, Isn't she agoraphobic in that? Yeah. Yes. I think I have seen that. I'm I'm fairly certain I have. Yeah, she uh she has a trauma and uh if you if you think about the title long enough, you might be able to figure out what it was. So. <laughs> okay, this is the deeply discussing movie podcast. <laughs> thanks everybody for helping me out if that's what you did and thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>